Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for this uh, wonderful message, Father, that you are giving us, Lord. I bless this service, God, and I bless our minds and our hearts, Lord. I thank you, Father, for what you're going to do on this day, Lord. Renew our minds, open our hearts, God, and just continue to bless us, Lord. I give you thanks, Lord, in all things, Lord. I give you thanks, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So I'm going to be talking about the tithe. I'm going to be talking about um, what it means, um, what it is, uh, where it stands uh, in accordance with our second covenant that we live in at, uh, today. And I think it's very important um, to sort of, maybe, maybe this is a poor way to say it, but sort of draw the line in the sand um, and sort of establish it how God wanted it to be established. Um, before we go into it, though, I wanted to say that first and foremost, everything in our life is by grace. Amen? Everything is by grace. Uh, this is not an attempt to get you to tithe. Uh, this is not an attempt to uh, get you to give us more money. Um, but it's to teach a kingdom mindset in respects to finances, specifically pertaining to the tithe. Amen? So everything is by grace. We live in a second covenant. Um, and... It's all because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Amen? So, and another thing, too, is this is not about judgment. Um, we had a, a, a funny thing happen to us on the way um, home from Utah. Um, and we were kind of half-jokingly in the car making uh, fun of some people and also kind of passing some, like, uh, sarcastic judgment <laughs> on other people. And I was reflecting on that on the way home and... God spoke to me and he said, um, all, all negative judgment um, is ignorant because uh, when you're judging someone in a negative way, you're um, ignoring their humanity and you're also ignoring your own. You know, because sometimes we say, oh my gosh, why would that person do that? But that person's human and so are you. So you could also be the person... Um, that drove a Ferrari on a dirt road and it got stuck and caused a lot of traffic. If you want to know the full story, come talk to me afterwards. <laughs> um, so it's all by grace. Um, the other thing that God also told me um, to share with you guys is kind of like the goal um, for this message. Um, and I'm not going to take you there. I'm just going to read it to you. It's Philippians 4.17. And if you're taking notes, again, we encourage you to take notes. Please take out your phone, actually. Um, and write some of this stuff down. I'm going to be giving you verses um, and whatnot, and I want you guys to have this um, this message. We're really going to, like, you know, push it and have, you know, new believers listen to it, um, and we're going to grow through it. Um, so the first verse is Philippians 4.17. I'm not going to have you go to it. But the goal of this message is what Paul writes here to the Philippians. He's talking about, um, about how some of the churches haven't um, shared with him in gifts, in monetary gifts. Um, and Paul's writing to them, and he says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. So let me say that again. I'm not looking for the gift, if I can paraphrase. I'm not looking for the money that you're giving to me. But through your giving, I'm looking for the increase in your own account. So in this message, the profit isn't for us. It's not for any person, but it's for you. It's to teach 
excellence in our finances and our stewardship. Amen? Amen. So that's kind of like the intro. The second thing I want to address um, and kind of take my, a little more time here is that money sometimes can be like a funny little thing, right? People get nervous. They get a little weird about it. They don't want to talk about it. Um, we were joking around earlier with Mario that we were like, oh, my God, <laughs> what's about to go down? So sometimes we have, um, bless you, <laughs> drink vitamin C, people. <laughs> um, so sometimes we have um, ways of thinking about certain things. Um, the word for that is called paradigms. Um, I don't know how you're going to translate that, but it's just paradigms. It's a framework of how you think. So it's una manera de pensar. So, and sometimes we don't know um, that these things are influencing the way we think, right? The story that I always go back to for this is, uh, I think my mom or my grandma told me a story that there was a, a young lady who grew up with her mom, and her mom would always cut the tail of the fish and the head of the fish and fry the fish. And her mom, uh, her daughter, eventually grew up cooking the fish like that, cutting the tail, cutting the head. And her little girl asked her, how come you cut the head and the tail of the fish off? And she's like, I don't know, actually. I don't know why I do that. And it was just because she was raised that way. She grew up doing it. So later on, she went to go ask her mom. She went to go ask her mom, why do you cut the head and the tail? And her mom was like, because I couldn't afford to buy a bigger frying pan. So sometimes you do things without realizing why. The lady had more money to buy a bigger frying pan, but she didn't. And she did, actually, but she kept cutting the tail and the head off. So it's paradigms sometimes are a way of thinking towards things. Um, today, specifically, we're talking about money. So it's ways of thinking. Um, sometimes you're unaware of those things that are influencing your life. Uh, it could involve the way you were raised, um, your life experiences. Maybe you've had experiences at other churches where you've been hurt about the tithe, about offerings, about money. Um, maybe you've seen things on the Internet or heard stories of, of certain pastors doing certain things with, with money that they shouldn't be doing. And that influences your giving. And sometimes you're unaware of it, and you're not noticing perhaps the consequences or the repercussions of it. Um, and so you start to think certain thoughts, and they're derived from maybe experiences. So that's like a paradigm. Are you guys okay? Okay. So I, I got kind of funny with some of these, uh, and <laughs> I'm actually going to put them up. Um, but I'm going to kind of explain them. Um, one of the first paradigms, if you could put up the first one, pal, is if I give, I will not have any more. So if I give, I don't have any more money. I remember one time we went to, uh, we were coming to church, and we actually went to go get our tithe and offering from the bank with Mero and I. And there was a homeless lady sitting outside. And I didn't have any, you know, single bills. Um, you know, the bank only gives you 20s. And I was like, should I do it? Should I not do it? Kind of tight right now. And Meryl was kind of thinking about it, too. And right when I decided, you know what, I'm going to do it, I got a text from her because she was waiting for me in the car. And she was like, just take the $20 out and give it to her. And her name was Barbara. And, and in that moment, I said, you know what, I'm not slave to money. So if I give, I will not have any more is based on fear. 
It's based on fear. It's the paradigm. It's the framework that you think, if I give, I'm not going to be taken care of by God. But that is actually a type of slavery to money, and that's not what Jesus wants for us. The second one is a little more towards, like, the establishment, and it's kind of funny. Um, I don't know. I think the pastor should get a real job. <laughs> but I, was, I wrote this down because sometimes we think, I've heard, like, in conversations with non-believers, I've heard them say, like, why should we give this pastor money? Or why should we give a certain person in leadership money? Why don't they go get a real job? And I heard, um, I think I heard Chris Rollinson say this one time. He says, it's funny that we'll play a ball player millions of dollars to throw a baseball, but we can't, it's, it's wrong to give a man of God money. And I personally have seen how hard our pastors work, um, where they're constantly having people over at their house, constantly like counseling people, constantly giving themselves to people. And I find it interesting that we're okay with, with, Watching reality stars like make a lot of money, but a pastor can't make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Like that's just wrong. Like I think pastors are, uh, and especially here, are the most selfless people. Like they just give all. They should always be taken care of. Amen. The next one is uh, lottery mentality. It's one day I'm gonna catch a break. This is a lottery mentality. This is. Like, one day, I'm going to win the lotto. One day, I'm going to get a big chunk of money. One day. God doesn't want you to live on one day. Things are going to get better. Today, things get better with him. So that's another one. Um, the next one is, I don't have to give God money. He doesn't need it. The next one is, more on the religious side, is... Staying poor, not having any money, or not owning anything is a sign of true Christian humility. Which is wrong. Because God wants to prosper us. He wants us to have. And, you, and we'll, we'll cover a lot of these like as we go through um, the study, because this is more like a workshop. Um, and then... At the end, if there's time, maybe we can answer some questions, um, or you can come speak to uh, Maroni afterwards, and we can talk about this. Um, the other thing is, some people will say, and I did some research, and some people will say, Jesus did everything. He, fulfilled, he, 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 he came here, he took care of the law, and now I don't have to tithe because that's law. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And the tithe is actually rooted in Abraham, not in the law. And it speaks of it in the Hebrews. It says, Abraham gave a tithe, which is 10%, to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek represents Jesus in the Bible. So Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. And now the law is written in our hearts. Though when they wrote the law, they said, the tithe is good, let's bring it in here. The law, uh, the tithe didn't start in the law. It started beforehand. And it started by faith. And it is by faith. So it's a heart issue because now the law is written in our hearts. And we'll talk about that also. 
So let's go ahead and get into it, because um, I don't have much time. Um, let's go to Malachi chapter 3. We're going to be reading the whole chapter. So let's go to Malachi chapter 3, and we'll read verses um, 1 through 6 first. Give me an amen when you're there, Malachi 1 through 6. Okay. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, sons of Jacob, are not consumed. So the first thing I want to cover is that it's kind of like a study. So in verse 1, it says here, I'm going to send my messenger. That's talking about John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That's talking about Jesus. So this, Malachi is the last, cha- is the last book in the Old Testament. And I want you to see Malachi is a prophet. And so he is prophesying about what is to come. He's talking about John the Baptist, who would be the last Old Testament prophet. And that he is talking about Jesus coming. The cool thing here when you read in this verse, it says he will suddenly come to his temple. It's not talking about a building. It's talking about you. You are the temple of Jesus Christ. So here it says he will come suddenly to his temple. But we are his temple. So he comes and he lives in us and he gives us a new heart. The other thing is that in verse 2 it says, But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's soap, he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. When a lot of people came into contact with Jesus, their response was worship. Their response was praise. Their response was to in full abandonment, follow Jesus. When they heard Jesus' voice, when they felt his heartbeat, when they saw how he provided for them and, and didn't hold anything back for them, their natural response was worship, to fall on their knees and, and, and with their tears clean his feet, to buy the most expensive perfume and wash his feet with, it, with their hair. So who can stand it when he appears? We can't. When, when, when we come before him, like John in the book of Revelations, he fell like a dead man at the feet of the Lord. So I want you to see that the beginning of, these, of, of Malachi 
is talking about the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. It's talking about the one who will be worshipped, the one who will purify. It's talking about abundance, a chapter that for so long has been misconstrued and used as a scare tactic. It actually starts off with love. It starts off with righteousness. In verse 3, he says, purifier of silver. And I say this a lot jokingly, but it's true. Silver in the Bible means grace. Purifier of grace. It's like God is, you can't, you can't taint grace. You can't dirty it. It's always purifying everything that it comes into contact with. So here we see abundance. We see the Lord's provision that he comes and he makes all things new. He refines them like gold and silver. And in that process, it says they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness in verse 3. Malachi here is prophesying of, of, of a time to come with Jesus. Jesus comes into our life and he refines us like gold. And when we are refined, the natural response is to present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. We are in righteousness. Let's go to verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. A lot of times we see an Old Covenant God and a New Covenant God, an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. And we think He changed somewhere along the cross. But God never changed. God has always been loving and merciful and graceful. What did change was our ability to approach Him. What changed was us. Not Him. He didn't change. He's always been looking after us. So I just want to establish some things before we kind of like get into the, 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 like the, the thick of things. So the beginning here in Malachi is about redemption. It's about abundance and it's about giving. It's about a mindset that when you come into contact with the Savior, you are changed. And the fruit of that change is a response of worship and a response of giving. Amen? So let's go to verse 7. Verse 7 reads, From the days of the fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? So here we have um, a, a depiction of Israel and God. And God comes to Israel and he's talking to them through Malachi. And God says to them, you have sort of deserted my ways, if I can paraphrase. And he says, you need to return to me. You need to come back to me. And Israel's response was, how shall we return to you? I think it's funny that Israel's having a conversation with God and he's right in front of them and he's asking and they're asking, How do we return to you? And they're having a conversation with him. 
I think it's funny that you can be sitting right next to a person and not know them. This is, this is even more evident in our days today as technology has sort of invaded the personal spaces of our life. We were talking about this yesterday and we were saying how like it's crazy you could be sitting next to someone and you grab your phone and you tune everybody out. And you could be right next to somebody and not know them and not have a relationship with them. And here God is talking to Israel and Israel is so caught up in their, in, in, in their that they have left the ways of, of God that they're talking to God and they're saying, but how are we going to come back to you? I don't know, I just thought that that was interesting that God's right in front of them and they're asking, how will we return to you? But God is telling them that they have a need to repent, to turn back to him. Let's go to verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. So this is where I want to kind of like debunk a couple things. So, often, this gets used to tell people that they're robbing God because they're not giving. And what it what it, what it boils down to is that they equate the money withheld with robbing from God. But that's not what God's talking about here. Because God is the owner of all things. Amen? He owns everything. If you think about it, He doesn't need your money. He owns your money. He owns everything. So, by withholding money, we're not really robbing God. So then what are we, what is he really referring to? So I refer back to what Mario talked about in Jaira. Remember how Jesus flipped over the tables and, and got, you know, all crazy? Um, because they were selling stuff at the temple and they were, they were taking people's um, opportunity to give. They were, they, were, they, were, they were robbing them of their opportunity to make it personal, to raise up a sheep or, or, or whatnot and bring it to the Lord from the heart. And this is what this is talking about. He says, you're robbing me. Not of the money, not of the, in their time, not of the crops, not of the, of the vegetables or, or the land that you have, but you're, you're robbing me from being able to give to you. That's what God is referring to here. He's saying, you're, you're, you're handicapping me because you don't trust me. And because you don't trust me, I, I, I haven't been able to release this to you because in this relationship, it's about trust. And so when it says you are robbing me, it's not about physical money. But it's about God wanting to give to his children. But he wants to make sure that they are prepared through stewardship to withstand the blessing of the Lord. Does that make sense? All right. Let's go verse 9 to 15. You are cursed with a curse. You are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not, sorry, um, test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing 
until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they, are also, but they also test God and escape. So something I want to explain here is, it says, God is saying to the Israel, you are cursed with a curse. At first I thought that was kind of redundant, because why doesn't it just say you're cursed? It says you are cursed with a curse. So I said, okay. This reminded me of Galatians 5.1 where it says, For freedom you have been set free. Why doesn't it just say you have been set free? When you are set free for something, you are set free so that you can protect that freedom. That's what that verse means. This verse can kind of mean the same thing. When you are, it says you are cursed with a curse. So what we need to do is define curse as the Bible defines it. I believe there's a proverb or a psalm that says, Cursed is he who is hung on a cross. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus, in that moment, became sin. And as he became sin, he was cursed. So what is a curse? It's sin. What is sin? Anything that gets in the way of love. See, for too long, we, we have heard that you're cursed with a curse because you're robbing God. And we make the curse this big old thing. And we say that God is cursing you. And he's, he's, he's destroying you. And he's, he's ruining your finances because you're not giving. And that's all a lie. Curse with the curse here. He's talking to Israel. He's telling them. First he tells them, you need to come back. That's a father right there. That's not a tyrant. That's a father. He's saying, come back home, child. And then he says, you're cursed with the curse. Because if you read down there, Israel is saying, what good is it that we give? So not only did they turn away from God, but in their turning away, they came to the assumption or reasoning, a paradigm, a framework, a way of thinking that they had nothing to contribute. Because God tells them, you need to come back. And they say, how will we come back? And then later they say, what good was it that we served you? So you are cursed with the curse. The first curse is that they turned away from God. God's not cursing them. The curse is just sin, that they turned away from what God had established. The second curse was that it led them to think that they had nothing to contribute. And when a heavenly father who owns everything has children, and their children think they have nothing to contribute? There's something wrong with that. No wonder God is saying, you're robbing me. Because you are not trusting me that I am the owner of everything. And enter into a relationship with me. And see if I won't open heaven for you. Amen? And then Israel starts to serve other gods, which is crazy. 
you know. But again, it's crazy, but let's not forget that they're human, we're human, we could have made those same mistakes. But we see a loving father coming and saying, children, children, come back, come back to me. Let's read verse 10 through 12. We're going to drill down a little bit, focus here. Verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be be a delightful land, says the Lord. I want you guys to see that one of the things that I've learned is that the tithe belongs to God of your finances. It, it, it is by grace. Nobody is forced here to give. But the 10% of all that you make belongs to the Lord. And our language needs to match that. Because a lot of times we say, I'm bringing my tithe. It's not my tithe. It's His tithe. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Him. And when we come before Him and we put at His feet what belongs to Him, He releases more over us. In verse 11, he says, I will rebuke the devourer. Why would God... See, a lot lot of times people say, God is the one here cursing Israel. because, And God is cursing you because you're not giving your tithe. And he's ruining your finances. Verse 11 says, then I will rebuke the devourer. Why would God rebuke himself? God is not the devourer. But equally to that, there can be no growth through disobedience. When, like Israel, when we don't trust God, it's a heart issue, it's a relationship issue. When we don't trust God, we put things where they shouldn't be. And we leave things out in the open sometimes. And the enemy who is defeated and is um, being constantly like lowered in power and authority. He has no authority, has no power. He can come and just like attack sometimes. But what ends up happening is that God comes and he says, no, you don't have access to this. In that time, Israel, the way they made their money was through growing fruits and vegetables, right? And that's where they would pull a tithe from and bring it to God. When they didn't bring that to them, it was like they were trying to operate outside of God's trust. It's not that they were that God is punishing them, but it's that God is constantly going in increase and in glory to glory. And if we don't, I mean, why don't, why wouldn't you want that in your life? And when you step out of that, it's kind of like you leave yourself like out in the open, you know, and it's kind of like then you start to think like, well, one day I'll catch a break. And God doesn't want you to think one day you'll catch a break. God wants you to trust Him 
that you invest into his kingdom because that is your home. That is what you belong to. And as you invest, you grow. And as you give, you receive. And it increases and it increases and it increases. The tithe is meant to be a floor. It's not a ceiling. The tithe is where you start. It's so simple. It's like where you start. When do you stop tithing? When you give more than 10%. And sometimes we think, oh, if I give more than 10%, I'm not going to have enough. But God isn't... Sometimes we think that if I don't give, I'm not going to... Sometimes we think if I give, I'm not going to have enough. And that's not true. Because we live in a covenant with God. And that means that he will always uphold his side of the deal. He died on the cross so that he can uphold his side on the deal. It's a relationship. It's, 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 a, it's a communication. It's trust that you build over time. And that's what the tithe is meant to do. It's meant to help you build trust with God as you grow with him. And what it does also, it makes you a generous and a cheerful contributor in the kingdom. Paul says, um, let he who used to steal stop stealing and get a, a legal job and contribute. If you think about in Acts chapter 2, we, we, we read it a lot at the end of the year. The whole church sold everything and gave everything, Right? They weren't saying like, well, I sold 10% of my home and I gave 10%, so I'm good. They were like just going for it because they were experiencing Jesus. But the tithe is something simple. It's something, it's a, it's, sometimes we make it out to be this big old thing and it's not. It's just a relationship with him. It's just a matter of building trust with him. It's a matter of saying, Father, I trust you. And you gave me the ability to earn this money, and now I honor you with it. In verse 10, he says, I will pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. God wants you to measure... God wants you to measure the success in your life by how much of it spills out. God wants you to, to observe... Your, your prosperity, your health, your finances. It's not just about money. It's about your, you know, your health, your ideas, your work, all of those things. All of that, God wants you to measure it by how much it overflows. Because God says here, I will open up the heavens until it overflows. So stuff in our life should be overflowing constantly. You know, our finances, we constantly give to other people. Um, our time, we give it to other people. Our homes, we open them and give them to other people. And that's constantly overflowing. So, Jesus dies on the cross for us, and he says, all things have been given to you. Here we can kind of get to a place where it can be kind of touchy, where we say we live in grace and we have everything, but... Sometimes we have questions like, well, why don't we see people get healed? Or why don't we see um, certain breakthroughs happen um, here and there? And sometimes I believe that it's because it's about trust. Because God wants to trust you with overflowing riches. 
but you don't get there overnight. He starts little by little. And the more that you can hold, the more he releases to you. So it's access versus authority. So I have access to the riches of heaven. But if I don't know how to exercise authority over those riches, then I can't make a withdrawal, if I could use that word. You can only withdraw what you know. And that only comes through relationship. Because I can talk about Jesus, and I can talk about Jesus, and I can talk about the Holy Spirit, but if I don't have my personal experiences with God in private, then I can never actually really give anything. I'm just giving a bunch of words. God, Jesus, He is the substance. He is, he is the, the, the thing that, that when you get asked, what do you experience at church? And you say, I, I just can't explain it. That's the substance. When you, in my experience, you know, getting up to pray early or, or just reading the word or just relationing with him when nobody's looking, it builds up confidence in me to do things in public that I, that I wouldn't normally have done. And that's how you know that you have access, but then you are able to exercise your authority over different aspects. And in, in this aspect, we're talking about finances. I remember um, I was always instructed uh, by my parents, rightfully so, to, to tithe, to, when I, once I started working, to always give. And the thing that I would do is I would say, uh, well, let's round down. <laughs> let's round down and um, after taxes, not before taxes. So really, I wasn't really tithing. It was more like 8 9%. But I was doing it out of fear because I was worried that if I didn't give, that God was going to, like, punish me. And I was tithing, but I wasn't really prospering. Why? Because my mindset was wrong. I had a poor man's mentality even though I was tithing. You can go through the process and have absolutely no substance, no relationship, or power with God. And that's religion. You can tithe and tithe and tithe and tithe, and it, nothing happens. Why? Because God knows what's in your heart, and he knows what's in your mind. And if he can't trust you with more, he's not going to give it to you for your own safety. Because you constantly, you see it on the news, you see these individuals that overnight, they're rich. And a year later, they're bankrupt. You see athletes that are, uh, Mario talked about it in his message. We were watching a documentary of athletes who are making millions of dollars and they're dirt poor. Why? Because they don't know how to manage their money. They don't know how to steward their finances. They're, they get money and they're like, they're slaves to it. They're like, yes. You know, it's like your eyes get all big and, you know, you want to go spend it all. And sometimes what God is saying is, bring it to me. And when you put yourself through that process... Maybe you'll think twice about what you do with your, your, your resources. So, about a year ago, um, Mero and I uh, started praying, and we really started pressing into tithing. And I wanted to share a little bit about what happened. Um, it was November of 2014. Um, 
we, we started praying together. We started saying, well, let's go ahead and tithe. And we took, um, I'm the only one working at, uh, at the moment. Um, so what we did was we took my salary, the whole salary, not after taxes, the whole salary, and did 10% of that. We split it up into 12 and then into two. Um, and then that's how much you know, we give um, every time that I get paid. And so we started tithing and we started trusting God. We hadn't tithed once and we got this check in the mail that I wasn't even expecting. It wasn't supposed to come until like six months later. And then it came right away. And it was almost like God was saying like, yes to my yes. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes you say yes and the breakthrough comes right away. And sometimes it doesn't happen right away. So as we step into this, um, into this season, into this new year of expansion, um, like we talked about two weeks ago uh, when I was speaking, I talked about creativity, excellence, and integrity. And finances is a good place to practice your excellence and to practice your integrity. That in the face of, of, of maybe you lost a job, in the face of sickness, or in the face of anything, you still say, no, I trust you, God. That in the face of prosperity, you keep your excellence, and you don't say, ah, you know, now I have a whole bunch, and I'm just going to save it, or I'm going to go spend it on or whatnot. But you're going to maintain your excellence and your integrity. And like I said, God isn't making you sick because you're not tithing. He's not destroying your possessions because you don't tithe. God is not the devourer. Let's go to verse 12. All the nations will call you blessed. For you shall be a delightful land, says God. Here you see the heart of God. You see God's heart. He's saying, children, come back to me. Be with me. Because what is my destiny for you? That all the nations of this earth will call you blessed. That's the goal. It says it in Isaiah also that the nations will come to the rising of your light. And God here is saying, here's the goal. All the nations will call you blessed. Why? Because you trust me with your money. And people will call us a delightful land. See, if we want to bless the neighborhoods, if we want to bless this state, the nations, um, this country, we're going to need spiritual riches. We're going to need those, those blessings from God. And how do we get there? Here, he equates it to something so simple as just tithe. You just give 10%. You tithe, and it takes you to, to learning with the right mindset, to learning to trust God. And God says, good, faithful servant, right? Like the, the parable. Good, faithful servant, here, have more talents. Here's a city. Here's a neighborhood. Here's a state. Here's the school that you work at. Here is the advertising agency that you work at. Here is... Um, I don't know, the hospital that you work at. Good, faithful servant. You trust me. I trust you. We're in relationship. We're building together. We're partners. 
you have this passion for, I'll use my wife as an example, you have this passion for nursing, for taking care of people, good faithful servant. Take this whole hospital. It's yours. Pray for the sick. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Counsel people. Be there for them. This is yours now. And people will see you as a bright shining light. So it's just, it's just so simple. It's not this like big scary thing. It's not about like curses and you're robbing God and like, you know, don't come to church if you're not going to tithe. And it's not about like, you know, you're an evil person. I believe that there is a grace period for us to learn these things. We're growing. And I know that um, a couple years back, <laughs> we were like reading, um, we were reading a book. And from that book, we kind of derived like there's no more tithing like in grace, right? And we're learning like, you know, we're not going to, newsflash, we're not perfect, you know. We're growing, um, we're adjusting, and the beautiful thing is that we're learning as we go, and you guys are learning, and we're growing together, and we're going to see the fruit of this. So, like I said, I was supposed to actually preach this in December, uh, in, I forgot when it was exactly, but the Friday that I was supposed to preach, they actually sent me to uh, Orlando for work, and I was so mad. I didn't want to go. I was like, I really want to preach this message. Like, I really want it. We had, we had planned out our, our December schedule. We had planned out who was going to preach. We had planned out who was going to talk about what. And I was like, dude, we're going to talk about the tithe, and we're going to talk about community and excellence, and we're going to go for it, and we're going to end the year with, with just like a bang. And I was so passionate about it. And then at work, they say, uh, you're going to Orlando for work. I'm like, no. I'm like, God, if you want me to preach this message, you're going to cancel that trip. And the trip didn't get canceled. <laughs> I said, God, like, you know, and then uh, we were talking with Mario, and we're like, well, we'll just move it to January. And I was like, okay, well, then I, I guess, you know. And I was still kind of bummed out, bummed that I had to go all the way over there for work. Um, the first night I get there, and um, on the way there, I was reflecting on, on, on this message and just thinking about it, praying with God. The first night I get there and uh, I have a free night so I can do like whatever I want. Um, so naturally I go to downtown Disney um, and uh, I just went to downtown Disney just to like hang out, grab something to eat and I didn't have a rental so I had to Uber uh, on the way to downtown Disney. And a lot of Things happened in between me getting to my hotel and getting in that car that I know that it was God. I told God on the airplane, I said, look it. <laughs> look it, Lord. I said, I was supposed to talk about the tithe, and now it got moved. So now I'm doing this flight instead, this trip. So how about you give this trip purpose? And he said, okay. So I get an Uber on my phone, and I'm waiting for the guy uh, to show up. His uh, picture pops up on your phone, so you know who's, who the driver is, and his name is Carlos. And um, I see him, and he kind of looks like Lou. He kind of has like that same like you know cool uh, complexion. And um, and I'm uh, yeah, that made no sense, but he 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 looked like Lou, is what I'm trying to say. And Lou's a cool dude, so. Um, so. The, uh, the, the, the driver, I see his, his face, and as soon as I saw his face, I had this, like, weird feeling. Like, I'm like, and I even thought, I'm like, I'm going to pray for this guy. 
And so I get in his car, and uh, I was sitting in the back because, I don't know, I'm awkward, and I don't know where you're supposed to sit, if you're supposed to sit in the front or the back, but I sat in the back. And so we're driving, and um, he's, he's talking to me, and we're, we're making small talk. And out of nowhere, he says, uh, I asked him, I was, uh, do you do this job full time? And he says, no, I actually work in ministry. And I was like, oh. And I was like, God, you're up to something. And um, I told him, you know what, brother, I had, a, I had a feeling. And in, in that moment, we became brothers. We were like, you know, brother, like the Lord and, and Jesus and, and this and that. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't an Uber driver anymore. It was my brother in Christ. It was like we were in family, right? And he's from the Dominican. He lived in the Bronx. And he, 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 starts, he opens up a little more and he tells me, you know what, brother, I took this job because my finances have hit a wall. And I started laughing in my head. I was like, you sent me here on the night that I was supposed to preach about the tithe. You sent me all the way to the other side of the nation to preach the message still, but to share it from the heart. I started laughing, and he said, yeah, like, I had to take this job because um, I'm, I'm actually a co-pastor, but I also work at Christ for Crusade at a Florida University, and so we're constantly evangelizing. I go home, I eat. Um, I see my family, I see my kids, and then I get in the car and I Uber um, to get more money for my family. And I started laughing, I almost started crying. And I said, brother, you know what? I wasn't supposed to be here these days. I was supposed to be at church preparing to talk about finances. And I said, I believe that my wife and I have um, stepped into um, like in a, an anointing or stepped into a, a calling about finances, call it what you may. But I told him, I'm going to pray for you. And I just started blessing his life and declaring riches over him. And, and, just, and I literally gave him like the message like in a nutshell. And I just prayed for him and I could feel the Holy Spirit in that moment. And um, I didn't realize that you can actually tip the Uber drivers, and I didn't have cash, so I felt really bad, and I said, I'm sorry, brother, that I don't have cash to tip you, or else I would, because this ride has been a blessing, and he says, no amount of tip that you could have given me would match the priceless word that, and blessing that you released over my life and my family's life. I got out of that car, and he was like, God bless you. I got out of that car, and I was just like, this is why you sent me over here, to give somebody hope. And why? Because God can trust you with that. God can trust you with that. Give him thanks for that. So I still got to preach that message. It was so amazing. It was so beautiful. Um, let's read verse 16 to 18, and then I'll close. So after God gets done speaking to his kids, he says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord gave attention and heard it. See how God hasn't changed? His children, where two or three are together, there he is. His kids start talking, so God gets closer. He inclines his ear, and he's like, let me listen to what my kids are talking about. Let's keep reading. And heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and esteem his name. Verse 17, this is God speaking. They will be mine, says the Lord. 
on the day that I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Who serves him. Verse 18. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Why is this important? Because if you read the other verses, it says that you call the arrogant blessed. Israel had flipped it over on its head. They were calling the evildoers blessed and good, and they were, they were like testing God, and they were getting away with it. But some of the Israelites realized what God was talking to them about, the tithe and offerings, and they said, you know what? Let's not forget this. Let's write it down. See the importance of taking notes? Let's not forget this. Let's write this down. So they write it down, and God sees, and he says, good. They write a book of remembrance. When you repent, you will produce, and you will remember. I think there's a verse that says, true repentance bears fruit. They repented and literally, physically wrote a book. About what? About God's goodness. About how God says, spiritual blessings are coming to you. If you enter into this covenant with me, I will increase over you. I will increase blessings over you. And they write this book, and then God says, on verse 18, so you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. What, had hap what happened to Israel? Their discernment had gotten all screwed up. Why? Because they had turned from God, and then they believed they had nothing to contribute. They started serving other gods, and God was like, no, come back. You're making judgments that aren't correct. And as they come back and start to move in tithes and in offerings and serving the Lord and entering into relationship and trust with Him, their discernment comes back. And it's just so crazy that the tithe, it influences our relationship with God in, in trust, in, in discernment, in, in, in honor, in relationship, in excellence, and in integrity, just from giving Him what belongs to Him. It belongs to Him, and He treats it like you're doing this like big, amazing thing, because then He says, test me. Test me. Too often, the tithe is used to test the children of God. But it's not meant to test the children of God. It's meant to test God. Because he said it, test me. But too many pastors are out there saying, are testing their congregation members because they don't tithe. And that's wrong. That is absolutely wrong. Because God comes and he says, look at all these benefits of entering into relationship with me. I will reward you. It says it in Hebrews 11, I think. Those that come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of faith. So He's saying, look at all these benefits. Don't go over there, children. Come over here. You're, you're, that bad stuff is happening over there, but I want you here. This is your place as a child. You're not an orphan. You're a child of God. You're not slave to money. You're not poor. You're rich. You're not one day just thinking things are going to get better. They get better today. 
All you have to do is trust me. Trust me that I own everything. And through this process, through this relationship, I will teach you things. And you will grow. And you will see how your influence grows too. And it's crazy. It all just comes from entering into relationship with him and trusting him. Amen? Does that make sense? Let me read you what I wrote for closing. Um, I wrote down uh, some things that I've learned with Meryl as we've been um, tithing this a little over a year now. Essentially, tithing has helped Meryl and I personally be better stewards of our money. Every time we bring our tithe and offering before God, it gives us an opportunity to pray for our money. It gives us an opportunity to pray for our finances. It gives us an opportunity to run our finances, our finances or pass our finances through the filter of the kingdom. So we don't look at our money as that's all I got in the bank. We look at it as this is what God has given us in this season. This is what we are going to send to to send in investment because this is what God has asked us. And we're going to pray for it. We're going to be good stewards. We're going to save where we need to save. We're not going to spend where we don't need to be spending. You know, and then you start thinking, well, how can we save so that we can give more? It gives our money purpose. It doesn't mean that you just go to a job Monday through Friday and, and you're, not, you're just working. It gives it purpose because now you're working for the kingdom. And now you're investing into the kingdom. Maybe you don't have the job that you don't like right now. But if you're faithful with this one, then you'll be faithful with the one that you do want. Maybe you want to work in ministry. Well, be faithful with the job you have now. Because maybe God's teaching you certain things that you will use in ministry. Maybe, maybe you don't have a job. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Do everything unto the Lord. And God will prosper you. Ask God for more money if you want more money. If you need more money. Don't be weird about it. Like, don't be ashamed to ask for money. He owns everything. And when you come and you give, pray over your money. Pray over your giving. And confess with your words blessings. And say, and, and say it. Sometimes I say it too. I said, God, you said to test you in this. So I'm testing you. When we started tithing, we got that big check in the mail. And then I ended up in the, in the hospital the, at the beginning of the year. And then I went through the dentist. And it's like all these medical bills started popping up. And I was like, dude, like what happened? I'm tithing. But God was like, keep going. And we kept going. And we kept going. And not once have we ever needed like anything. We've always had more. Our entire life is filled with kingdom purpose especially our finances it's the only place God said test me and it's probably the one area where people lack the most faith why? because they can see it they can see it running out they can see it not coming in they can see goals and, and things and it's not coming to be but yet God, knowing that, in that one area, said, test me in this. 
He's a provider by nature. And he wants you to be one too. And in order to give, you must have. So you will have. And you do have. He won't condition us. He won't train us to do things so that we get something in return. That's not the goal here. It's not so that you think it's like an ATM, you put something in and you get something out. That's not also how it works. That's another extreme, and that's incorrect. But it is a relationship. There is a, there is a very close line, because he says, test me in this. And it's like very close to the point where you can get to, I put stuff in and I get stuff out. And though he does reward us, he doesn't want to condition us to be constantly expecting the gift more than expecting him. He is our reward. And he takes delight in rewarding his children. The purpose of the tithe is meant to build trust and release spiritual blessings. It releases new ideas for creativity through excellence and integrity. God doesn't want us to get weird about money. He is going to prosper us, but the increase doesn't come if we can't be trusted to steward correctly what he wants to release over us. Again, it's access versus authority. We have access over everything, but through stewardship, we gain momentum and authority over our inheritance. We can have or we can own a great big land, but if we haven't explored it, we can't give it away. Right? If I own a big, great land and I see people in need that need a place to live, if I haven't explored the land, I can't assign people land. You can't give what you don't know. And we can impart to you blessings, but we can't give you our history with God. So we need you to make your own history with God. Kingdom finances are about investment, about sowing and reaping. So let's sow cheerfully because we have a good God. And if we feel as if we need to um, repent from a poor mentality or this type of mindset that I talked about earlier, then today you have an opportunity. We've been giving to the orphanage, right, in Mexico that we're going to be helping out. So if you feel like maybe you were under the mindset of like, you know, I don't have enough, I don't have enough, or, or a poor mentality, I encourage you to take a step of faith and make an uh, offering unto God, but in the form of giving the offering to the orphanage. And we're going to give it to the orphanage. And that's a good way for you to practice trusting God, and it's a good way for you to show your repentance of that. And God will honor it. I promise you, God will honor it. And if you don't give anything, if you just say yes today, and maybe you weren't tithing, but you say yes, God will honor it. I promise you, God will honor it. And if you go through a difficult situation, come talk to us, because that's what community is about, to bear each other's burdens. We'll pray for you. We'll, we'll be there for you. We'll help you however we can. We don't want to just, like, you know, tell you to, you know, give you a task and not help you. We're constantly here to support you and be with you and bless you. Amen? Amen. So 2016 is about expansion. Um, it's about community. 
And I wanted to give you these two verses, so please write them down, even if you weren't taking notes. Um, please write them down. Proverbs 10.22. Write it down, please. Proverbs 10.22 says, It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Another translation says, It is the Lord that gives you the ability to make money, but he doesn't add any sorrow to it. So in other words, God is going to prosper you, and as you trust him, you grow with him, you're going to prosper financially, but it's not going to come with a burden, right? A lot of people say, more money, more problems. With God, that's not true. Another verse that I want you to write down is uh, Deuteronomy 8, 18. It says, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. See, so prosperity is biblical, because God is giving you the grace to make money to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant with, with he who swore to your fathers as it is this day. So God gives you ability to make wealth. And maybe you don't have a job, maybe you want to be a contributor, but just pray about it and God will open doors for you. And you can be a contributor in another way, in, in your service to God, in, 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 in different aspects. You can get creative with it and God will honor it. But financially, God wants us all to prosper, but with purpose. And that purpose is to spread the kingdom of God.